You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 8, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello and welcome. Today we will be discussing mindfulness. And do keep in mind, this is a very brief introduction presented by somebody who is towards the beginning of their own mindfulness practice. But I figured if I wait until I am a seasoned practitioner several years from now, then you will have lost the opportunity perhaps to at least begin the journey on your own or with me and see where it can take you. One of the beauties of mindfulness, as we'll get into a little bit later, is that there's such a wide range of opportunities to practice the skills of mindfulness and so many different ways to be mindful that just about any person in any situation has space in their life for this amazing skill. So what is mindfulness? It's such a buzzword these days that you probably have some idea or some misconception. We'll have to see. The simplest explanation that I have read is that mindfulness is awareness of the present experience with acceptance. And that's just a beautiful, concise explanation of what it is to be mindful. But each element of that sentence is critical. Awareness of the present experience with acceptance. So awareness indicates the degree of attention that you are bringing into that moment, the present moment, the here and now, not the past, not the future, but this moment, this precise moment. And acceptance indicates the quality of attention that you are bringing into this moment. It's an open type of attention, one that allows for compassion and acceptance of what you find in that present moment. And it also allows for the exploration of novel thoughts, or if not novel thoughts, novel interpretation of familiar thoughts. Last week, we talked about habits and how roughly 40% of all our actions in every day are basically autopilot, our habits. And mindfulness is the exact opposite. Mindfulness is bringing your full attention into the moment to be with the thoughts and sensations that are coming up for you. One other element that I have found helpful in conceptualizing mindfulness is the idea that in mindfulness, you have the opportunity to cultivate what is called a bystander perspective for your thoughts. And so this bystander allows you to take yourself out of center stage and watch from the sidelines as thoughts roll into your mind and out of your mind, like a train, an ongoing train or a row of trains, or maybe a superhighway. But you are sitting on the sidelines and watching these things happen. From this bystander perspective, since you don't have any investment, theoretically, in what is moving past you, you are able to reduce your own bias and preconceptions about the thoughts that are rolling in and out or the cars that are rolling past on this superhighway, which gives you clarity of thought that may be difficult to come by otherwise. So we have thought about mindfulness as awareness with acceptance or a bystander perspective. The other critical element is the present experience, being aware in the here and now. 
And one way to emphasize how critical this is, is to ask you to think back in your life, at least three years back, and think of a moment, one of those moments that is still crystal clear, that is almost a sensory memory. You remember how warm it was and what the air smelled like and how you were feeling. Whether this memory is good or bad, the vividness with which you were able to recall it is likely because while you were experiencing it, you were completely in the moment. You were not thinking about past, you were not thinking about future, you were not ruminating in the present, you were simply there. And that quality of attention, that ability to be completely present is one that is really difficult to achieve in our current society without deliberate practice. Just about everything about the American lifestyle is designed to distract you from the present moment and convince you that only tomorrow, only when you buy this next item, only when you watch the next episode can you be fulfilled. So it keeps us in a constant state of either future orientation or for situations like depression or loss, we are locked into a past perspective. We are constantly dwelling or existing in the past. But living in the here and now can often be uncomfortable because maybe the here and now isn't exactly where we want to be. However, until we learn to live in the here and now, appreciate the here and now, and exist with our thoughts and our sensations in the here and now, we aren't going to become comfortable with them. And if we can't be comfortable about where we are in the moment, those vivid memories that are so precious to us, we're not going to create as many of them. So how is mindfulness going to help? There are three primary skills or types of mindfulness meditation that we practice. The first is focused attention. So we improve our ability to concentrate on an object of focus, whether that is the breath. That's the most common one that we hear about. Focus on the breath and breathing and observe the air moving through your body exiting your body. So breathing is the one we think about when we consider focused attention. However, you can also focus your attention on something external, a candle flame, or a different sensation internally. So there's a wide range of options if the breath isn't one that speaks to you. But whatever you choose as your focus of concentration, we are enhancing our ability to bring focused attention. And that skill is critical for developing that present-centeredness that we're talking about. Open monitoring is the second skill or type of mindfulness meditation. Sometimes it's referred to as choiceless awareness. And in that state, the goal is to be open and receptive and to notice what thoughts or sensations enter into your field and move out. It's not a time when you engage with thoughts. You do not want to dive deeply into any of them, but you want to notice and be aware of what your body is telling you, both physically or in thoughts. This is the bystander perspective. And finally, acceptance and loving kindness. When you're in this type of mindfulness meditation, the goal is to evoke those feelings of warmth, comfort, care, and connection. Typically, we wait for the world to offer those to us, or we seek those in another person, warmth, comfort, care, and connection. 
But if we are able to evoke those feelings within ourselves, we are able to improve our capacity for self-compassion, as well as the compassion for others, and the overall tone of our mind or the tendency to feel those positive feelings. The idea that we have a degree of control or a degree of say in whether or not we feel good is a revelation at least it was to me, that this is something that I can actively work to add to my life without adding things to my life or changing my life, if that makes sense, that this was something by itself that I can focus on. As I was describing these skills, I described them in the context of mindfulness meditation. And I know that the word meditation has turned some of you off. Some of you are saying that sitting still is torture. If you have to sit perfectly still with your thoughts for five minutes, 10 minutes, thank you, no thank you, I'll find another way to accomplish my goals. And I do have some good news for you. There are a plethora of ways to engage in mindfulness. Hatha yoga, so a slower, more deliberate type of yoga is an excellent way to practice mindfulness. The quality and tone of mind as you approach this yoga practice is important. You can't be making lists in your head. You can't be planning tomorrow. You've got to be with your movement and centered in the present. But there are ways to practice mindfulness without sitting still. There's a walking uh, mindfulness meditation. It's not one that I'm particularly good at. I find that as soon as I start focusing on how I am walking and exactly how my feet feel when they hit the ground, I start tripping. It's as though as soon as I recognize that I'm walking, I'm no longer able to do it. I do recognize that this is a mindfulness practice, just as medicine is practice. So with practice, I hope to get better. But it's a little bit distracting to be laughing at myself every time I trip over my feet in this particular meditation. One of the other barriers to entry might be the perception that mindfulness needs to be practiced within a religious or spiritual context. And while many people do feel a spiritual connection in their mindfulness practice, and for some, that mindfulness practice is a portion or a part of their religious experience, for others, it can be thought of as a personal development skill, just like a workout is exercise for your body, mindfulness is exercise for your brain. So what are these benefits that I keep alluding to, these changes in the brain that make this practice worth it, that make picking up one more thing to do worth it? First on the list is psychological flexibility, or the ability to incorporate novel ideas and ways of thinking into your existing mental framework, or the ability to adjust and alter pre-existing ideas. This is certainly a quality that we can all aspire to. Mindfulness improves your awareness of self, and this one I think is the most self-evident. As we sit with our emotions and thoughts, we become more familiar with them and we become more familiar with the patterns of our thoughts and the patterns of our awareness. This one makes sense. And certainly as we improve our awareness of self, we are better able to make decisions and to improve our relationship with ourselves, if that makes sense. One of the interesting areas in which mindfulness is becoming important is in chronic pain. Mindfulness meditation may not specifically change the pain, 
but it can help change your relationship to a source of chronic pain. And for some, that is everything. Mindfulness meditation improves empathy. The more in tune with ourselves we become, the better our mirror neurons are at picking up subtle changes in others. And so the more empathy we have, the more accurate empathy we have. We have increased attention, so that focused attention that we are building, that skill that we're building, spills over into other areas of our life, and we are better able to employ sustained attention, as well as becoming aware of things, either in our body, our mind, or our environment, the skill called alerting. One of the elements that I find most persuasive for starting a mindfulness practice is that the cognitive decline that we see associated with aging is reduced in those who have a solid mindfulness practice. We see that attention is maintained, short-term memory is improved, perceptual speed and executive functioning measures are maintained or improved compared to controls, and fluid intelligence is sustained for longer. And fluid intelligence is the ability to use logic and pattern recognition to solve novel problems or the ability to think on your feet. Mood elevation, I've touched on this before, the act of mindfulness meditation can actually help to elevate your mood. And the way that it does this is by shifting preferential activation from your right prefrontal lobe to your left prefrontal lobe. Apparently, they have discovered that your left prefrontal lobe is more associated with peaceful, happy type thoughts, and your right prefrontal lobe is associated with depression, anxiety, and hypervigilance. So, Through meditation, we preferentially activate the left side. This goes back to that experience-dependent neuroplasticity, the neurons that fire together, wire together idea. So the more you engage in this mindfulness meditation and activate those loving-kindness and acceptance pathways, the more easily activated those pathways are in your daily life. Hand in hand with this, we find that those who meditate consistently have a threat assessment system in which the negativity bias is reduced. And we'll talk more about negativity bias as we go on. But essentially, a negativity bias means that your threat assessment system is over-interpreting neutral stimuli as negative or threatening. Reducing this negativity bias means that we correctly assess neutral stimuli as neutral rather than skewing them as negative. And so this allows us to perceive our world as less threatening, which obviously improves our relationship with it. Finally, practicing inhabiting the present moment allows you to engage with the people around you in a much more authentic and present way, especially children. Think about young children. They live in the moment. Well, if you offer them ice cream, they're thinking about the ice cream 100%, but they're, they're living that experience in the moment. You know, ice cream is their present, even though you haven't handed it to them yet. But little kids are in the present. They're playing this game now. They're not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. And they have very process-oriented type play where they're watching their play develop. It's not a goal-oriented behavior necessarily. And as very goal-oriented adults, we can sometimes have trouble, if not playing their games, enjoying their games or sinking into that present moment with them. And so a mindfulness practice can help you develop that capacity, which will make connecting with them more natural and more enjoyable.
Together, I find these benefits provide excellent motivation to start a mindfulness practice. As with any skill worth acquiring, results from mindfulness are dose-dependent, and it can take years to develop a robust practice. But we fully accept that we need to exercise for years and years in order to maintain a body that is healthy. So accepting that we need to deliberately work on caring for our mind and developing our mind should be no different. And I think that's the take-home, that this is a practice that is worth investing in for the long term. So let's say I've convinced you. Where do we go from here? We are almost out of time in this episode, and all I've managed to cover is what mindfulness is and why it's important. But the biggest piece, the piece that allows you to get started, is how. How do I get started? Especially if you find yourself intimidated by the more formal meditation-type practices. So from now on, every Wednesday on my social media platforms, I will be posting some kind of mindfulness tip or a link to a lecture on YouTube. Something related to mindfulness will happen every Wednesday. It will be our midweek mindfulness moment. So if you are interested in dabbling at this point, please join me on those those platforms and we can get started there. If you find that you would like to dive in more thoroughly, the phone app that I appreciate most is Headspace. It has three courses specifically designed for beginners that start you at square one and walk you through the first month of your mindfulness practice. After that, it provides you with a wide variety of individual guided meditations as well as targeted courses for specific goals such as stress reduction, improving happiness, coping, pain management, etc. I feel as though there was a recent half-off deal for a year's subscription, but I can't remember. I realize that not everyone wants to pay for something, but so far I have found it to be well worth the money. There are also tons of resources online, anywhere you look. Mindfulness is a big thing these days. To save you the trouble of sifting through the available information, I will be compiling a list of resources which I will make available on my website. While I plan to update it regularly, it may not grow quickly enough for your interest, in which case I would like to suggest you start by searching for Dr. Ronald D. Siegel, last name spelled S-E-I-G-E-L. He is one of the best known educators in the mindfulness realm, particularly as it is approached from a personal development or scientific perspective. That brings us to today's handout, which reviews two mindfulness exercises. The first is my favorite breathing technique, which I use extensively in situations where I find myself becoming tense or anxious. The second is an introduction to the mountain meditation. I have included a link to my guided mountain meditation in the show notes for this page. As always, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's always an adventure getting this recorded in time to release to you. Although I will say this time I was able to record without thunderstorms, hailstorms, birds, or wind. So really, all things considered, it was a pretty fabulous day. I hope you are having a fabulous day and I will talk to you next week. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. To have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, 
questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in next week for the science of willpower.